Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, a program in Larimer and Jackson counties is starting to give adults voluntary alternatives to criminal trials. We're getting folks right out of the criminal justice system and into accountability. Coming up, we'll hear more about these alternatives, and we'll check in with two doctors still combating COVID-19 in northern Colorado. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. COVID-19 hospitalization numbers in northern Colorado are now as high as they were late last December and are continuing to climb. Hospitals are also seeing an increase in non-COVID-related emergency visits from individuals with underlying and mental health conditions. Doctors say this is because people have been largely unable to access regular care during the pandemic, leading health officials to sound alarms about overcrowded ICUs. For an update on conditions in local hospitals, we're joined by Dr. Diana Breyer, a critical care physician, pulmonologist, and chief quality officer at UC Health. Dr. Breyer, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Marsha Hamner is with us. She's the regional medical director for Northern Colorado Hospitalists with Banner Health. Dr. Hamner, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me as well. Let's start by briefly talking about some COVID case numbers. Dr. Breyer, what are the numbers looking like at UC Health? And can you give us a breakdown of vaccinated versus unvaccinated COVID patients? Currently, uh, across our system, there are 340 uh, COVID patients in the hospital uh, currently. In northern Colorado, that number is about 102, and about uh, 36% of those are requiring ICU care. Um, The majority of patients that we have in our hospitals, um, uh, well over 90% with COVID are unvaccinated. Uh, We are seeing a few uh, breakthrough cases, um, but but the the vast majority are, are the unvaccinated patients. Dr. Hemner, are you seeing similar numbers at Banner? We are. We have a total of 81 COVID patients right now in our Northern Colorado hospitals. So North Colorado Medical Center, McKee Medical Center, and Banner Fort Collins Medical Center with approximately 25 patients on ventilators. And as a Banner system, we have approximately 85% of our inpatients um, with COVID unvaccinated. And it's interesting too, because while we are seeing some breakthrough cases as well, the presentation of those patients who are vaccinated uh, is a little bit different. We're, we're not seeing classic COVID symptoms as much as exacerbations of some of their chronic medical conditions. And usually those patients do have multiple comorbidities or advanced age. Okay. So just to clarify, when you do see vaccinated patients with COVID patients who have been fully vaccinated, uh, their symptoms present a little differently? They can, not always, but we are seeing cases with vaccinated patients where they come in and maybe they have underlying heart failure and we're seeing their heart failure get worse and they happen to test positive for COVID with the theory being that it's COVID that's setting off 
the exacerbations of their chronic medical conditions. Or if they have diabetes, that's getting worse. When was the last time uh, that you were seeing case numbers this high? This is the highest number of cases of COVID that we've seen since December of 2020. So in August, we were seeing COVID numbers in the single digits across our region. And then it started to climb. And instead of having a peak and then a decline, as we've seen in prior surges, we're seeing a peak and a plateau and now a peak within that plateau. And Dr. Breyer, is that the case uh, for you as well from your perspective? Yes, uh, we we have um, been in incident command mode since uh, for about 10 weeks now. And we have been climbing, you'll have a plateau, climb a little bit more, but our, these are the highest numbers that we've had since uh, the, the surge that ended uh, last winter. We have been hearing that hospital ICUs are full or even over capacity. Larimer County implemented a mask mandate last week to try to get numbers down. Uh, Dr. Breyer, what is it looking like in your ICUs right now? We have been uh, at this that high capacity rate for weeks on end now. And so a lot of our time is really spent managing how we can take care of these patients with the resources and beds that we have available and getting creative about that, uh, extending our care teams, uh, having ICUs in places that are traditionally not ICU beds. It's been a, a lot of, of, of time and energy spent around making sure that we can take care of our community. Dr. Hamner, are you seeing similar numbers in terms of ICU capacity? We are. Um, similarly, we opened up a whole other area of the hospital at NCMC to accommodate essentially a second ICU. So when we look at numbers and we see that we're at 100% capacity or sometimes even exceeding that, it's interesting that those are based on staffed beds. But when you really look at the burden on the physicians, our critical care docs that are caring for these patients, really we're at 200%. Um, they're, they're managing two ICUs where we typically would only manage one. And that is putting a strain on them. We've got a great team, very proud of them. We've heard it said in the past that, you know, it's not just a matter of is there a bed available, but especially with a critical care bed, um, it's really about the personnel, the staff who can actually care for a patient in that bed. No, that's absolutely correct. And and really it's been, um, the labor shortage has really been focused on on nursing um, and it, it's it's challenging. Um, so we, we've had a number of travel nurses that have come in um, and that's helped us to increase our capacity and then had a number of our nurses working overtime as well. Just gonna say we've done similar things where really um, extending it with team-based care, having um, helping to preserve uh, the things that, that an ICU nurse is needed for in terms of their critical thinking and ability to do specific uh, critical uh, care tasks and uh, having others help them with things that don't necessarily require a critical care nurse. I'm also curious about how flu season might impact hospital crowding. Um, Dr. Breyer, are you concerned about that? Yes, uh, very. So last year, our flu numbers were at a record low. I think Larimer County had three cases of the flu, and we are not expecting that to be the case, you know, with people out and about and living lives and doing more of those group gatherings. So uh, that certainly could put an additional strain on, on what we're seeing already. And Dr. Hamner, do you share those concerns? Yes, definitely. This could be a really rough winter if you want to add influenza on top of the COVID numbers that we're seeing. And then 
you know, the other piece that's driving our volumes right now is, is not just patients with COVID, but patients who have other underlying medical illnesses. And we've had a lot of patients who have delayed care for the past 18 to 24 months as a result of COVID. And, and that's starting to catch up with us. And so when the patients come in, they're, they're not just sick, they're a whole lot sicker than what they would have been otherwise. Um, and that acuity is, is driving volume to and contributing to the stress on the system. So those three things coming together, I, I think it's gonna be a challenging winter. The, the other component of that too is the mental health piece. And we're seeing a, a surge of substance abuse-related hospitalizations. Um, there were days on the floor where all of my patients either had COVID or they had um, an illness that was related to alcohol. And, and that's, uh, that's really tough. Um, people have really been suffering both from a physical and mental health standpoint, and we are seeing the repercussions of that as well. We've also been hearing about patients from neighboring states like Wyoming and Nebraska, uh, or even other parts of Colorado being sent to northern Colorado hospitals for treatment. Um, Dr. Hamner, have you been seeing that? We have. We have taken patients, as, as we always do, from Wyoming, from eastern Colorado, and from neighboring states when we have the capacity to do so. But they're, um, they're struggling with their volumes as well. And I'll ask that too of you, Dr. Breyer. And, and what is the capacity like? I think at this time, I can tell you that in the northern region, uh, yet, you know, we do have a lot of partners that um, are, are out of state, including Nebraska and Wyoming. And, uh, and we traditionally uh, take their patients um, for uh, various um, specialty care. Right now, though, uh, in terms of our hospitalizations with COVID, 90% of those, uh, high 90% of those are from uh, our own area, from Larimer County. Um, and then, of course, we have uh, Weld County as part of our northern region as well and our Greeley Hospital. I want to ask about burnout because this has been such a huge concern as the pandemic has just not relented for so many months. How are you seeing burnout impact hospital staff this far into the pandemic? I'll ask you both, but Dr. Breyer, let me have you tackle that first. There's been a lot of moral distress around this current surge. You know, we're full with COVID, we're full with trauma, you know, we're just, everybody's very busy. And especially with the COVID cases, we've just, we've seen a lot of sad stories. And and it's hard uh, to see that much death and poor outcomes. Um, we do have resources that we're providing for our physicians, our nurses, but it, it's difficult uh, to know what the impact of all of this is going to be. I, I worry that we're going to see people leaving medicine earlier than they would have. I, I think we're already seeing that. Uh, I haven't personally seen that uh, in, in my group, but, but that those sorts of things could happen. And uh, that will have long-term implications for us as, as a community. Dr. Hamner? It's interesting. I spoke with one of our hospitalists about how he was doing the other day. And, and he said, you know, one piece of this that has really kept me going is I, I feel like I have such a sense of purpose. And, and I think that has made a huge difference to so many of us, both on the physician side, on the nursing side. We feel like we're doing good work. Um, and we also have a very strong community. Our medical staff is so much more collaborative now. We are so much tighter. Well, let me wrap up just by asking each of you, um, where are you finding joy these days? Uh, Dr. Hamner? 
So um, my, my family is, is a huge source of joy for me. My husband and I um, have eight children between us and one grandchild. And um, my youngest is 15. Um, and she's decided in the midst of this pandemic and seeing me work in this in this field that she wants to be a doctor too. So I'm fully supportive of that. Um, she can do that. And so that's been a joy to be able to see her develop a passion for caring for people in the midst of this. And um, I just I just love the time with my kids. How about you, Dr. Breyer? I, I would echo that it's also my family. And uh, I, I'm, the time that I do get to spend with them has been wonderful. Um, I have one child. She is uh, 14 and has not decided what to do with her life yet. But just being able to get outside of the hospital and uh, and focus on things that don't have anything to do with this pandemic with your family and get out and hike and spend time outdoors is wonderful. Dr. Diana Breyer is a critical care physician and pulmonologist at UC Health. She's also the chief quality officer for UC Health's Northern Region. And Dr. Marsha Hamner is the regional medical director for Northern Colorado Hospitalists with Banner Health. Dr. Breyer, Dr. Hamner, Thank you both so much for joining us, and please take care. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Earlier this month, the district attorney's office in Colorado's 8th Judicial District significantly expanded diversion opportunities for adults in Larimer and Jackson counties. The expanded adult diversion program will aim to hold offenders accountable for their actions in a way that diverts them from the criminal justice system and instead focuses on reducing future harm. For more on the program, we are joined by 8th Judicial District Attorney Gordon McLaughlin. Uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar, what exactly is an adult diversion program? Sure. Well, what I say is diversion is literally diverting people out of the criminal justice system. So instead of a case um, taking many months to resolve, and sometimes to get a case to a jury trial, it could be 12, uh, 18, 24 months, we're getting folks right out of the criminal justice system and into accountability. So they are taking accountability for their actions, um, doing something to mitigate the harm, to make it less likely that they will commit that same crime again, but without draining the resources of DA's offices, of courts, and of other parts of the criminal justice system. And uh, that's going to benefit them in the long term. That's going to benefit the community in the long term as well. And one of the great things about um, quick accountability is it's going to make a bigger impact than even the same uh, requirements much further down the road in the criminal justice system. So if you have a kid and they do something wrong and they put their hand in the cookie jar and you send them to timeout, if you say you need to spend 20 minutes in timeout and that 20 minutes is gonna start 18 months from now, it's probably not gonna have a lot of impact on their behavior. But if you say that 20 minutes is gonna start right now, then it actually might be able to affect change in that person's life. And so what are some examples of the diversion opportunities? Uh, well, restorative justice is one of our uh, top candidates uh, to send folks to. Um, we have a couple great restorative justice programs in Larimer County. Uh, there's one in Estes, there's one in Fort Collins, and there's one at uh, Colorado State University. Uh, and they've all been great partners in um, directing folks to. So the restorative justice has been really helpful in some of these lower level crimes, even crimes that may involve victims, to make sure that there is um, healing with the victim, with the community, and there are some real lessons learned. 
So restorative justice is one big aspect. Uh, we also uh, have all sorts of treatment components. Um, so substance abuse, um, alcohol or drug um, uh, treatment is one component. And then there can be substance abuse monitoring that goes along with that so that we're making sure people remain sober while they're completing the program. Um, mental health treatment is still a part of that. Uh, and I think we'll be able to catch a broader scope of people with mental health needs uh, as opposed to that prior program. So that was sort of some more intensive mental health needs. But there's a lot of folks in the criminal justice system that made a mistake. They can benefit from treatment or some sort of uh, cognitive behavioral course, but they don't necessarily need years of probation involvement and check-ins and things that are just going to drain their resources and, and prevent them from doing things like getting a job or doing things for their family. Right. And I want to just come back to something you mentioned, restorative justice. That may be a, a new or unfamiliar term for some people. What does that entail? Well, restorative justice can entail quite a few components, but at its heart, restorative justice is trying to find um, healing in the community that is not based through punishment. So instead of sending someone to jail or even putting someone on probation, we're giving them the opportunity to learn from their mistakes. And often that is hearing from a specific victim in their case about um, what that harm was to them. Um, sometimes it's hearing from um, victim stand-ins about what the greater harm to that community is. And restorative justice programs have found that through those conversations, especially when we're catching folks at the lower level of the criminal justice system, young adults, people new to the system, hearing how their behavior has impacted those around them, victims, their families, others, um, can really make a difference in that young adult um, brain process. And according to the press release that came out earlier this month, diversion programs uh, aim to provide individuals with the opportunity to take responsibility uh, while emphasizing personal growth uh, and harm repair in the community. So how will these opportunities accomplish these lofty goals? Well, People need to take accountability in order to um, uh, seek the benefits of this type of disposition. And so by going and doing these steps, that might be some of the things we talked about, like restorative justice. It also might be um, paying restitution um, for something like a criminal mischief. And when we talk to folks in the community, if we're looking at, for instance, a graffiti case, well, the business owner of, of that building has the right to be upset. But what they want more than someone going to jail is they want that cleaned off their building. And so if we're able to provide that restitution, uh, make sure that someone has taken that accountability, paying that, and again, doing it quickly, right up front, not 18 months down the road after a trial, um, we find that that really benefits um, not just the defendant, but the victims in the community at large. And you mentioned the program expansion is also meant to target behavioral and mental health for offenders. How will you do that and what kinds of services will be made available? Well, we're partnering with um, uh, many uh, organizations in the community to provide those services. Um, so uh, organizations that are in the behavioral health space um, are helping us get those folks into those treatment programs. And again, this is uh, geared towards folks that need three months or six months of uh, assistance, of guidance, of treatment. Um, not folks that have, you know, severe and persistent issues or long criminal histories. And so by getting these um, jump starts for folks to get those access to resources in the community, um, we find that they can really seek long-term benefits and often follow up with those resources on their own, even after the criminal case is over. 
I'm speaking with the district attorney for Colorado's 8th Judicial District, Gordon McLaughlin. Now, how does someone become eligible for an adult diversion program? I'm wondering what counts as a qualifying offense who might be ineligible. Well, we're looking at uh, lower level crimes, mainly nonviolent crimes, but we are looking at not just petty offenses and misdemeanors, but some low level felonies as well. And one of the great parts about this uh, program is that it is proactive. So we have staff, diversion staff and attorneys who are actually screening these cases before they come into court to try to identify the right people. And the great part about that is that when they come in, then we can sit them down and explain the benefits of these programs because um, you know, a lot of people don't understand what diversion is. That's why we, we talked about the definition right at the intro. And so a lot of folks coming into the criminal justice system don't understand that either. And for dealing with an 18 year old, they might think, well, it's a lot easier for me to you know, pay a fine or even do a few days in jail and get it behind me. And they're not thinking that the fact that that conviction could haunt them for the rest of their lives. It can impact them getting jobs, um, going to school, getting school loans, um, uh, getting housing. And so by explaining to someone what the benefits of getting this diversion, which ends up in a full dismissal of the case, that that's a huge benefit to them. Um, we can really make sure that we're getting the right people in the program and also making the program more equitable because we're not just uh, offering this opportunity to someone who's um, you know, wise enough or, or rich enough to have an attorney that sought out this opportunity. We're seeking the people out so that we're offering it to absolutely everybody. I imagine there's some pushback to all of this. If someone is concerned that this is somehow letting criminals off the hook or something like that, what do you say to address those concerns? Well, our job at the DA's office is to uh, reduce crime in our community. And so we can't look at that in a two-week perspective. We need to look at that in a two-year, 20-year or longer perspective. And when we're looking in the long term, we need to change behaviors. And so the best way to change behaviors uh, of someone in the criminal justice system of a defendant is to get them access to address the root causes of those of those cases. And so, again, when we're dealing with these lower level crimes um, in the long run, our community is going to see fewer of those things, whether that's uh, an MIP that comes through this program or a criminal mischief that comes through this program or a trespass that comes through this program. If we give people the tools to address those those issues then we're less likely to see them come back, which in the criminal justice system we call recidivism. So we're targeting recidivism and we're trying to reduce that. And so the the community will see the benefits in the long term from this program. I want to ask about funding. Uh, I understand Colorado currently funds a dozen uh, other diversion programs. During the pandemic, the budget was slashed by 75 percent. Does this budget cut also apply to the program in Larimer and Jackson counties? Uh, and if that's the case, how do you plan to continue operating with more limited funding? No. So the this uh, expansion um, is funded through Larimer County, um, both through our county budget and through a, a behavioral health grant program that we have here in Larimer County. And really, it's been funded by the hard work of the staff that we already have um, doubling down and, and getting this program running. So we have some really dedicated diversion folks here that have been running our juvenile diversion program um, for many years, and that's been a really successful program. And then we have some other attorneys who who I assigned to get this running because this is a top priority for us. And so they've made it work with our current resources, but we are hoping to be able to expand this and grow the program and, and grow what we can provide to defendants to make sure that they're getting 
um, the right tools that they need to succeed. And that brings me to my next question. You know, we've talked about some of the shorter term goals. What are the long term goals of this adult diversion program? How do you hope it will impact crime rates uh, over the next few years in Larimer and Jackson counties? Well, we're a quickly growing community here in Larimer. And so uh, the population is soaring, and, and that's true all over the Front Range, of course. And so we need to look at alternative ways to deal with crime because uh, our jail is, is full often. And as we grow as a community, those problems won't lessen. So we need to look at alternatives. Um, those are going to save us money on incarceration. Um, those are going to reduce crime rates by getting people tools to address the root causes of behavior. And in the end, those are going to make us a safer community. This program uh, began October 5th, so it's been in place for almost a month now. What have you been seeing so far? We have had uh, 20 people already in the program um, since October 5th. And we've had two people already successfully complete the program um, that were uh, ambitious and driven and got their tasks done to take accountability and already had their cases dismissed. So I think the program has already shown a lot of promise. And is there anything else we should know about the program while I still have you here? We appreciate all, all the community support we've gotten for this program. And to the extent that someone out there is listening and thinks that they may qualify for it or, or they're an attorney uh, with a client or, or even a, a parent with a, a young adult that they think may be good for this program that would be, you know, benefit from resources and not from punishment and not from incarceration. Um, they can absolutely make that referral on a case to our office. And we want to make sure that we're casting a broad net and screening these cases to make sure that anyone that's appropriate uh, is given the opportunity to get in. Gordon McLaughlin is District Attorney for Colorado's 8th Judicial District, serving Larimer and Jackson counties. Really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. That's our show for today. Tomorrow on Colorado Edition, we check in with the story of a man and his family who've been trying to evacuate Afghanistan and make it to Colorado in the months since the U.S. withdrawal. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Our theme music was composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Thank you for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. KUNC.